And I just start talking like we are right now. We're talking. We're talking yeah, right now. Yeah, Scone Bone. Scone Bone here, my dear friend Scone Bone. I'm in Petaluma, California on Sunday. Yeah. At the end of the bar podcast. Oh, that was a great grab. No, so the... the uh, sports ball is on. That's why sports he... Sports ball is on. Sorry, you'll, you'll hear me yell at the TV every now and again. Uh, the Quincy Jones soccer. I've been told to watch it. Please. Told, it's phenomenal. Please. Yeah. yeah, I need to check it out. You will be doing yourself one of the greatest right services. Write it in my What's book. What's it called? A little pen and pad paper. Uh, it's on. I just type in Quincy Jones on your Netflix. I got the dark web. Um, it's called... Shit, let me look it up. I'll look it up. Quincy Jones doc. The Quincy Jones doc. You don't realize... Well, I, I kind of knew it. Actually, hold that phone. I got a text from... Uh, I just got a text from Diane Feinstein. I want to respond. Viva de Leon. <laughs> wait, Diane? Oh, wait, what? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what. I gave someone, I gave my number to someone, and now I'm getting texts from... Politicians? Political, yeah. Oh. Oh, no, the, it's the Quincy Jones talk. Oh, yeah, you, don't, Jones. you don't realize the body of work that this guy has massive. created. Just massive body of work. Massive. Massive body of That's work. another one I want to do for the producer series on my t- on my radio show. He might, radio. I was I was emotional. Like I got goosebumps. Uh, I look over at uh, uh, Catherine. She's crying. Just like looking at his body of work and how he has shaped American music for sixty years. Yeah, sixty years. And she's like, "Oh my God, I didn't know that Austin Powers song was Quincy oh, wow. Jones." Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's Soul Bossa Nova. I was like, that's that was a that was a big hit. Or um, uh, off the off the wall and thrower, probably two of my favorite albums of all time. You know, it's funny. I read an article about when they made Thriller, uh-huh. and at the time when they were making it in the studio, they were they kind of disregarded. It. They felt like they were making pop trash. Yeah. Michael Jackson's in the corner shaking his head. This is terrible. Like they just thought they made trash. Yeah. It turns out that wasn't the case. Yeah. It was. They just had a lot of self doubt. Yes. And what the result was the most high selling album of all time. Of all time. And I mean, it had the beauty of it is that. When you look at Thriller, it was a crossover record because you had you had uh, ballads, R&B ballads, you had pop ballads, you had a rock song and beat it. Beat it's a rock song. That guitar and having Eddie Van Halen play uh, playing that too. What year was that? Uh, Eighty three. What year was uh, Walk This Way? Walk This Way was eighty six. Yeah, eighty six. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But Beat It uh, was was a crossover rock hit. That was the that was the first single from Thriller. Was uh, was Beat It, and you can listen to Beat It now and that whole uh, the guitar solo itself, which sounds it's got Eddie Van Halen all over it. Yeah, with the two hand tap and all that is like. Oh my goodness, like, I forget how big and how influential Jackson and Jones were to the music biz in the 80s, especially for, you know, black music, when yeah. black music. Right. Um, well, especially because um, I think Michael Jackson was the first black artist on MTV. Yes. Because like, they had to kind of, uh, what would you call it? Segregation of black music on MTV at the time. There was, I mean, there, and, and to an extent, there still is. I mean, think of modern music now. The biggest selling artists 
in modern music are hip hop artists. Yeah. It's Drake. Like it got the, the, the guy's the biggest superstar in the world. Yeah. Like everyone knows who Drake is. It's, it's, Hummed a Drake song, or like heard a Drake song at a wedding, or something like that. Even if it's edited. Um, or what's the other three guys from Atlanta? Kanye. Oh God, I'm gonna start on that guy. That's a tangent for sure. That's a hey. He's another. He's another great producer. Yeah. yeah. Great producer. Before he was a, a an artist. Yeah. yeah, an artist. Well, an artist in the rapper sense versus the producer sense. Yeah. Yeah. He was a hell of a producer. And he did them all. That's how he got his start. Yeah. Was, uh, and he, he wasn't a slouch. I mean, he was, he'd been doing it for some time. And, um, he's a creative, but he's also batshit crazy. Well, what were you saying about um, music today and rap? Oh, um, the biggest artists now don't really get their accolades. I mean, Drake has transcended hip hop. He's a, he's a pop star. He's the biggest pop star on the planet. Like, um, uh, colleagues of mine went to, one of my colleagues went to the Drake show when I was here, like twice last weekend. He was like, I, he was like I, it was an amazing show. He's like, he's a great performer. Yeah. He's like, as much as I want to hate on Drake, I had a great time to show to the point where I think I'm going to go again. And he ends up going that Monday. Yeah. Um, but I, I understand it for what it is. Like, you know, you hear a Drake song, it's like, it's just catchy. It's pop music. Yeah. It's right. catchy. Right. I put him in the same, uh, yeah, very sellable commercial. That's why he's one of the highest paid acts in the game. Oh, Migos is what I was thinking. Okay. It's Migos. Also just, Fino's, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. But has, and you're, you're a music nerd like I am, has that become the new rock? Because are there any, there are no big bands anymore. There's no Black Keys. There's no... Even when the indie rock thing was huge, well, I think there always are. You know, they just kind of get put underground. You know, and it's just Black Keys started out doing their small circuit venue, and now they got elevated to a new status and dissolve. Can you say too that technology has changed the music business? Like always has. Yeah, it's a huge difference. If you look at the affordability of the synthesizer in the 70s and 80s was what allowed people to be individual artists. They didn't have to have a big band anymore. And that yeah. was the big thing about hip-hop, was now a single guy could do everything he needed with a synthesizer yeah. and mix it and put it out. And, you know, the big scene now, or sub-scene, I should say, is bedroom pop. I don't know if you've heard of this. Say that again? Bedroom pop. Bedroom pop. It's basically people like... You know, young kids making music out of their bedroom with whatever technology they have on their laptop uh, and going oh, from there. Doing pro and, tools and all that like stuff. electro pop, whatever kind of stuff it is. And yeah. they get, and now it's like the medium isn't so much selling albums, it's likes and views on Instagram and YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And that is more determining the market more than anything before. It's crazy to see, like, there's that kid who was in uh, Walmart. Uh, Doing his Hank Williams. The Yodeler? Yeah. yeah. I got uh-huh. a feeling called the blues. <laughs> and then he was on Ellen like a week later. Yeah, he was on yeah. Ellen a week later. Yeah. That is crazy. It's like something out of a, uh, a sci-fi novel. Well, I think of um, Cardi B. She started out on Instagram. She That's got true. To her level because of Instagram. What? These bitches here. <laughs> and she's... And when she, when she speaks, it's so unintelligible. And it's so... I can't even understand... Half the shit she's saying, yeah. but she's one of the biggest pop stars in the world. Huge, massive, huge. 
Yeah. And there's, uh, what, Takashi69? Yeah, he's just an internet troll. <laughs> How do I keep this person interested? Yeah, the whole scene, I, I'm not following too much. But I'm intrigued either way. No one needs, you know what it is? No one needs the raw talent anymore. Back in the day, if you had, if you could sing, um, you might be a local celebrity. You may go to your local gymnasium and you and five of your buddies would have a, a doo-wop group. And, you know, one of you could really sing, but, you know, most of you couldn't sing. And maybe if you were lucky, you'd get put on, you'd get signed to a record deal. The music business now has changed so much that you can produce an entire album, as you said, Bedroom Pop, on your laptop, and now you can upload that to Spotify. So yeah. the content creators can upload their shit directly. They can yeah. bypass the traditional model. Well, and that's what uh, Jack Johnson did. The uh, singer-songwriter guy yeah. was like, just download my music. Download it for free, I don't care. So he had this massive distribution of people taking his music, and then when he would go around and tour, people would buy his tickets. Yeah. So kind of circumnavigating the record system, the yeah. record label system. Um, well, you need a lot of people access to his music. Yeah, you don't make money as an artist. You don't make money from record sales. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, you make money off of content. Yeah. Know, being a live performer and people going to see you. Yeah. Um, well, it is. I'm like obsessed with like 60s garage rock, which at the time they considered that there were like 200,000 different bands. People, young teenagers in their garage making music, some of them put out 45s. Some of them, like The Who, for example, transcended that and went on to do other genres of music. Yeah. And I think those are always the most successful. If you look at the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, The Beatles, they didn't just stick to the sound they started with, they created new ones and moved with the times and you know, adapted or improved what was continuous. Like, take example, Dick Bowie, like in the 80s and the 70s, he just constantly changed. You have to have a protean approach to, to music, to life. You have to have a protean approach to life. Like, things are always evolving, styles are always changing, the world's ever-changing. And yes, I sit and I bitch about it a, a lot. <laughs> and I can bitch about, oh, you know, back in the 90s, we're doing this, and da, 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 da. <laughs> But that doesn't mean that things now are necessarily worse or better yeah. than they were back then. It's just different. The world's different. Technology's different. We didn't have... I couldn't record a podcast at a bar on my phone. Different world that we live in. That's how crazy shit is. What the fuck was a podcast back in the day? <laughs> It was no pot. You want to record something? You, might, you mean my blog? Yeah, you had a blog. It was, it was, it was blog. It was blo everyone was blogging. We blogging. Now we're talking because it's a better format. It is. And plus, <laughs> I can sit and drive and listen. Yeah. But read. And I'm not going to read your shit anyway. No. I don't read. It's reading. Read. I got time for that. Say that for books when we go to bed. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think we're done. But uh, your your um, your show. Sconebone Radio. Sconebone Radio. Rolls off the tongue. It really does. It, uh, and we'll put, I'll put a link Don't in there. Don't be mad about show. Drop a link. Yeah. Click the link. Listen to the show. Shameless self-promotion. Shameless <laughs> self-promotion. You have to. That's what it's all about these days. No, it's it's great because it's an appreciation for... Oh, my God. That's hard to throw. It's an appreciation for all the, um, the sounds, the music, the genres that have come before. And 
I like that. You can kind of see the past. I've always said the past is prologue to the present. So it allows you to see how the fuck we got here culturally. And I think music is one of those waves, one of those mediums that allows us to kind of analyze how, oh my God, intercepted. Sports ball. Sports ball, sorry. That was a hell of an interception. The Rams are too good. They are too good. That's a... That was an interception. Wait, hold on. Was this? No, that was a pass. That was a pass? Hold on. Oh my. Oh, sorry. I thought I, I'm tripping. <laughs> I. Hell of a catch, though. That was a hell of a catch. I'll take it. He got burned. Um. Anyways, music. But no, music, back to music. Uh, how, how it allows us to see how society has changed. Like, okay, let's say past few years. You look at the '60s. '60s, you had uh, you know the big sexual revolution, civil rights movement. Um, all this crazy shit happening that was tumultuous in American society. And the music certainly reflected that. You had the bubblegum pop bullshit. Yeah, totally. yeah. Uh-huh. But you also had... Um, oh, a lot of things to be said. A lot of things to be said. I mean, the Beatles were... See, but you had uh, Lenny Bruce. Comedians were taking advantage. Comedians. I mean, shit. Richard Pryor came up in that time. And George Carlin and those guys. Yeah. Musically, you had the Beatles, um, who were very revolutionary. You had uh, Stones, The Who, we brought up uh, prior. Bowie was uh, uh, Davy Jones. Davy Jones of the Monkees or Davy Jones who became David Bowie? Davy Jones became David Bowie. Yeah. You had uh, 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 black artists, James Brown and... Oh, black and Brown. Say it loud! Edwin Starr. Otis Redding for his untimely demise. Booker T. Booker MGs. T and the MGs. That was Motown. No, Booker T was Stacks. Sta- oh, Stacks yeah, Records? Yeah, Stacks. Oh, Booker T. I'm thinking of... Um, Marvin Gaye. No, I'm thinking of... Bip-bip Junior Walker. The Junior Stacks? Walker. Junior Walker. Was that Motown? Yeah, it probably was. Yeah, I think that was Motown. Yeah, you're right. But you had like... But Marvin Gaye, to speak, his yeah. album... What's going on was What's, the most political album of all time that had ever come out. And that that's moving into the 1970s, yeah. where you still have that uh, the civil rights movement morphing into the black power movement. Yeah. And so black people becoming conscious of what it means to be black and embracing it. Yeah. And you also had uh, Stevie Wonder coming out with some very revolutionary Intervision Songs in the Key of Life Talking Book yeah. he wrote that shit he wrote Songs in the Key of Life when he was 20 fucking 5 what have I done what the <laughs> fuck am I done with my life good god then moving on 25 Jesus 25 years old that album came out moving into the 80s you then had um, uh, post Vietnam and that whole yeah, psyche post Vietnam that, that was in the zeitgeist the new wave, the punk sound, uh, the anti-establishment, because, you know, the 80s was all about Wall Street, capitalism, Reaganism, all that shit. So, (laughs) we were born in that time. (laughs) But, it was that time, um, you know, the... I feel like I'm missing something else that happened in the 80s politically, socially. Oh, the AIDS. Cold War is still kicking. Cold War. Uh, so the music the music reflected that. He had like uh, some great bands, Duran Duran, Talking Heads, all that new wave sound, the genesis of hip hop. Coming out, full stream. Fucking Michael Jackson. He did. 
Michael fucking Jackson came into his home. Good times. 90s, you move on to the 90s, you got the gangster rap sound, another evolution of black consciousness. Absolutely. Uh, NWA, I guess that was kind of the tail end of the 80s or the 90s. 87 is when they started. 86, 87. 86, 87 was NWA. I did an episode on pre-NWA gangster rap, and it was a lot of the kind of social consciousness of urban life, like Grandmaster Flash and all these groups talking about city life. And generally it was talked about like in the third person. Yeah. NWA put it in the first person to be more direct, I guess, about the message in itself. Dude, Fuck the Police was, that was super, super revolutionary. More, I mean, more so than Brown was, James Brown was 20 years prior. Yeah. With like, you know, songs like Say It Loud. Like, fuck the police. They, yeah. They beat us up. They treat right. us differently. Like, just it's a referendum well, about it was, justice. Well, you know, with James Brown, it was black awareness. Now it was kind of more combating the, the agents of the state that are keeping us down. Yeah, it was black militancy. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm all about that. Hey. Hey, who's that? Um, hey, all right. We'll delete that out. <laughs> out of the, uh, That's an edit. That's an edit. Um, and then... Um, yeah, the 90s, you had that same energy, but then hip-hop really becomes, I think, it, it came into its, like... I will say that hip-hop piece. died just like when rock and roll died. Buddy, Polly, and Big Bopper, it died with Biggie and Tupac. Wow. Tupac was very political. Yes. But then his later, especially his posthumous stuff, became very commercial, as did Biggie's. And yeah. I think what followed 96 to 98 to 2000 was a string of very commercial, very highly produced albums. Whereas the years prior, when you had bands like Tribe Called Quest, Nas's first album, Illmatic, they were very uh, street I, level. I disagree only because Jay-Z was still putting out music. Yeah, and I think he was kind of that string of... I'm not saying his music wasn't good, but I think there was a different character that was of hip-hop in the early 90s which was kind of almost done on their own it was done by their means they were supported by record labels that weren't as lucrative as the later ones Um, their videos were always shot in the urban setting because they had a friend who went to film school and he's like dude shoot our music video then they started driving Bentleys around you know Egypt or whatever and there was this commercial character I think that deteriorated the quality of but the rapper has always kind of identified and wanted to be the street dude, and the street dude, uh, the drug dealer, is the flashy guy who's got to show off his chains, his car, his women. Like that's always, always, Not always. Sight. But okay, when it if you look at Trap Called Quest, hold that, hold that. Oh, let's oh let's get into that. Hold on, I'll be right back. No, so you had that you had that conscious social goddamn rap, uh, and that. Uh, that kind of loungy rap that was like early 90s Tribe Called Quest yeah. uh, Diggable Planets uh-huh. um, God what a, I'm blanking on the other groups right now there's one on the tip of my tongue even like the early bad Grand Nubian shit. Grand Nubian yeah uh, 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 Arrested Development Arrested Development um, Far Side Far Side 
That whole sound was dope too. Uh, all the stuff Easy Mo B did. Well, what you had in the, in the early '90s, also in in conjunction with that, I guess, is uh, mafioso rap, which would be like Wu Tang Clan, yes, Biggie, Nas, a lot of the East Coast stuff. Then you had the gangster rap or G Funk, which was like Dre, Snoop, etc. Yeah. That was definitely more exploitative for uh, street life. Yes. But even then, if you look at that era, it was still kind of. I don't want to say necessarily underground, but more—I don't want to say self-produced either, because they definitely were propped up by white dudes running record labels. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't at this kind of level of, well, is this product or is this art? And I think when we got later in the to the 21st century, it became product. I think and just put it out. I think it was product when. Someone who was not from the hood exploited it financially. I'm looking at you, Jerry Heller. Jerry Heller, who was the uh, manager for uh, NWA. Okay. You've seen the Straight Outta Compton movie. Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Um, No, they saw saw the, the, the people who were buying tickets to go to these shows. They saw the record sales. And whenever creatives don't have a good business sense, they usually get exploited. Yeah, and I'm sure it happens, you know, it's just like going back to the 50s rock and roll, you know. Black dudes were getting cheated out of their, you know, recording rights. Oh, yeah. Hey, um, hey, see, so I'll give you a Cadillac if you sign over the rights to your song. Yeah. You know. But I, I think maybe then it was kind of finding the new sound and it was hidden within the streets and now it became mainstream and now everyone's just duplicating what has already been done. I, I think that's more my critique about... I'm of the mindset. I'm of the mindset that when it comes to art, nothing is nothing is sui generis anymore. Nothing. Nothing is what? Sui generis. S U I space G E N E R I S. It's actually a It's it's actually Latin term that means just like unique. Okay. Like nothing. Nothing's unique. I think everything that has been done. Or will be done has been done. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And there's going to be certain forms of art that are forgotten in the zeitgeist for a while, and then rediscovered by someone who totally. does their homework. Absolutely. Uh, that's why when the Black Keys came out, people had forgotten that sound, and, and they were they've forgotten clues. Yeah, totally. And then all of a sudden, these guys and they're you know white guys hipstery guys they do it people are like oh my god this band's amazing and I'm like have you never heard of you know Howlin' Wolf yeah Howlin' Wolf Muddy Waters uh, uh, Jump Blues um. but I do think that you know in some degree hip hop is a little different and I talked about this on my show last week because we were taking the original samples of Dr. Dre etc this idea that there's this lack of creativity with hip hop because all they're doing is taking a sample and looping it but there's still a, a medium in there how they're doing it differently, which is rap, which never was done as commercially and as widespread as this period from the 80s to the 90s and so forth. Um, and my point that I made was that you look at before music was even being recorded, this was something that had been passed around to each other forever. You play that song that some other guy played because you were allowed to do that. Yeah. It wasn't a commodity. Yeah. And, of course, the Rolling Stones covered blues tracks from the 50s. That was their first uh, series of albums were blues covers. Blues covers. And then it passed down and on and on. Yeah. But, no, I, my thing is this. 
Ooh, and correct me if you feel I'm wrong. And no one's wrong. You can feel and you can feel whatever you want to feel. I'm right. Um, <laughs> no, it's um. God, I had this grand point here. Ah, oh, I just lost it. Ah. It took it away. It took it away. Damn you. No, I um. Say joui. What did you say? Sweet generie. Sweet generie. It's um. Where am I mispronouncing? Sweet generous. It's not in French, but it's Latin. So it oh, play fake. Play fake. Gets that first down. <laughs> hey. He got it. He got it. He got it. Look at this team. Look at this team. 8-0. That's why you guys are 8-0. Because you play to win. Are they going to mark it short? Anyhow. Anyway, um... So no, uh, uh, producers like Dr. Dre are such music nerds. They know their shit when it comes to the history of music, when it comes to uh, meter and time and chords and all this stuff. And just because someone is maybe doesn't play a guitar or piano or drums or whatever, or but whatever this instrument's are doesn't mean that they don't understand how music works. It's a great book, by the way, David Byrne. I was um, And I think the beauty of a lot of these uh, hip-hop producers, especially the legends like Dr. Dre and, uh, and Easy Mobe, is that they gave a lot of... Um, they gave a lot of shine to artists who didn't really get a lot of credit in their time. Leon Haywood is a perfect example. The next the next episode, right, is I Want to Do Something Freaky to You. Uh, not the next episode. It was um, Ain't Nothing But a G Thing. Ain't Nothing But a G Thing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I wonder if that was his point or necessarily, you know, when um, Marley Mall accidentally sampled a uh, James Brown snare hit and I was reading this article and uh, funky you know drummer. funky drummer funky drummer or something yeah. and funky drummer. you know Marley Marl was telling his engineer he's like you realize what just happened he's like what he's like I just sampled that that drum sound he's like okay do you realize what that means he's like uh, you sampled something he's like no I sampled James Brown and that means it's a recognizable sound that people can attach to and so I think people, you know, the black community who had grown up listening to James Brown, yes. Leon Hayward, and everyone, their parents were playing it, everyone was playing it, yeah. and when they would put that in a hip-hop track, they'd be like, oh, that's that song. You know, I don't know if it was so much elevating those artists as it was to make it um, approachable or recognizable to other people of the community. You do, you do have a very, very good point there. I... I could see that being the case. I mean, shit, James Brown is the most like sampled shit. person in hip hop. Um, the big, I will say the big evolution in hip hop, since we're going on this hip hop tangent, that I realized as I listened to it over the years, was when rappers who, you had lyrical rappers, you have lyrical rappers, and now you have melodic rappers. You mean with trap? With the trapping, yeah. they're basically they're basically just singing over a, a trap beat. Yeah. And I think yeah, I watched the Snoop Dogg video. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's a big well, It's called biting. Yeah. You don't do the same sound that someone else did. No. <laughs> you, uh, you can be a great lyrical rapper, and we still have great lyrical rappers now. You have uh, guys like Jake Cole. You have uh, even uh, Kendrick Lamar. Uh, you know, Eminem is still a pretty great lyrical rapper. Um, but people now, the guys that are great... It's content over style or style over content, it sounds like. It's, it's style over content now. Currently, yeah. It's currently style over content because people want to hear a melodic rap. They want to hear Drake. They want to hear a sound. They want to hear a sound. They want to hear... They, Drake is the biggest rapper in the world yeah. because he's basically singing every fucking track. Yeah. Even when he's rapping, he's singing. Yeah. Uh, and But the melodic rappers were the guys who came up in the game and who understood that they weren't as talented as the lyrical rappers. The lyrical rappers were guys, like, um, even the lyrical rappers had to slow it down for people, like, uh, our guy from fucking The Roots, ah, and he's one of my favorite rappers, why am I blanket? Black Thought. Black Thought, yeah. Black Thought is one of the greatest goddamn lyricists who never gets his shine. And it's because when you listen to a Roots record, he is slowing it down. Yeah. There's that great freestyle he did on Funkmaster Flex's show, which you can look up on YouTube, which is, it's 10 minutes long, and it's him just going off the dome, and he's sweating, and he's got the breath control, and he's just talking about everything from Henrietta Lacks to, you know, uh, apartheid and all this other shit. And if you slow it down, you're like, oh my God, this guy's talking about some real shit. Yeah. But most people just can't, we, we, we don't have the ear for it. Yeah. The average, the layman doesn't have the ear for it, but what the average person does, the pleb has the ear for, is fucking lyrical goddamn, or sorry, melodic goddamn rap. They want to hear a song. We love songs. And I think that's the, kind of like the zeitgeist we're in, and I'm always curious about... Does this come full circle? Does this come full circle in the eras. dumbing down of uh, society? The coming down? Dumbing down. The dumbing down? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I necessarily agree to that. I think um, with music, we get attached to these sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be standout artists who survive beyond the sound. And this sound will die. This sound will 20 die. 20 years later, someone's going to revisit and say, wow, look what was being happened. Yes. This, this consistency of sound. And I do that with other genres. I, yeah. Like like I was talking about earlier about garage rock. I mean, you have, like I said, 200,000 artists making pretty much the same sound, yeah. which would then lead into punk rock. Yeah. And then you had, again, this kind of consistency of sound, the zeitgeist that people wanted to get until it was dead and something else recreated. Yeah. All genres have this, I think. Your standout artists are the ones who transcend it and go on to something else. So there might be someone out of this trap scene who evolves. Maybe They may all go the way of the dinosaur. But well, I hope like, they get their money. Drake kind of was the front runner of that. Well, no, I think Drake was the. He was. He's in a. He's in. Perhaps he is in a category of his own. I think that when he. But in some way he uh, contributed or has been a part of. I don't really listen to Drake. I couldn't tell you, but. Fair enough. He's somehow involved in it one way or another. He is one of these artists who, Melodic. He's melodic. People, like I said, people love to hear a song. And he's, and he's a performer. I mean, the guy was an actor before he was in the music game. And, in the game. And here he is, like, you know, at the top height of his powers. 
when that whole thank me, I think it was called thank album thank me later, maybe like twelve years ago, and you know people were still kind of uh, taking shots at wheelchair Jimmy Aubrey Graham. His name is Aubrey Graham, Aubrey Drake Graham. Um, and then listen to the album and went, oh my god, this guy's actually really good. And to have him 12 years later still be at the height of his powers is insane. Um, I just think I just think there's certain artists like that. Michael Jackson was certainly like that. Um, James Brown was like that through the 60s through the 80s until he wasn't. He was mostly consistent with the sound. I guess I haven't listened to his later stuff. Yeah, I mean, living in America. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of cheesy. <laughs> yeah. Did he, did he make that for uh, Coming to America? No. No. That was before that? Yeah. yeah. Is that even in that movie or I'm just assuming it is? You're assuming it's in <laughs> Um, But, uh, I'm trying to think of there's. There has to be another artist who transcends the decade in which they started. Oh, Bowie, duh. Black Star, have you listened to that album? That was the last one? Yeah. No, I heard the second to last one. Which I forget what that one's called. There was Black Star, there was, uh, there was another one. I totally forget that. Well, there was the one before that. I think it's like another day. Is what it's called. Yeah, another day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it has the it's the, the, the heroes cover. Yeah, the heroes cover blocked out. Blocked out. Blocked yeah. Out. yeah. Uh, uh, well, there's multiple artists who have you know who have transcended their scene. Name, you know. name, name those artists. Name like five of those artists. I said, I said Jackson, uh-huh. Brown, Bowie. Well, no, you know, there's uh, you know a handful. Name. Jackson, Brown, Bowie. I just gotta, yeah, that's something I gotta like really sit and think about. Um, maybe even, uh, I think Drake's one of them, for now. If, I, I wanna see Drake the next five years if he's still relevant. Um, Who's still active now from way back when? Active now from way back when. Uh, that's a musical act. You can say Paul McCartney. That's probably a good example. McCartney, yeah, but he's, he's, he's a legend. He's a legend, though. Yeah. It's like 50, 60 years in the game. Um, but, like, still relevant, still putting out. The Boss, it, maybe? Bruce Springsteen? But is he. Like, when was the last song he put out? Not just, like, touring on his yeah. own shit. Yeah, yeah, so they probably do all that. Yeah. Well, but I think even him, like, we look at what he did in the 70s versus what he did in the 80s and what he did in the 90s, whether he's actually putting out stuff now, yeah, I can't really tell you. Yeah. But, you know, he wasn't really pigeonholed, I think. Yeah. Wow. He kind of, he embraced a lot of the 80s new wave sound and synthesizer. He did. Which was unlike a lot of his big band, folk singing The whole, like, style. uh, that first album, uh... Is it Born to Run? I think it's the first, but yeah, that was one of his more pivotal. It was one with uh, whatever, whichever album he had with Blinded by the Light on it, before Man for Man covered it. Mm. I think that was Born to Run. I think that was earlier. It was... Huh. I couldn't tell you, be honest. I don't know. You know, that's, that's a question for Google. But, yeah, you're right. He was great. 
Oh, David, maybe David Byrne? David Byrne is a good example, yeah. David Byrne's a great example. Hey, how you doing? Uh-oh, hungover? <laughs> oh, yeah. How late last night? How late? Yeah. Too late. I walked along, you know, Keller Street? Right? Uh-huh. Over by the bowling alley. <laughs> Barefoot. Barefoot. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you had all day to sleep. What are you doing? I just automatically How your feet? Oh yeah, I walked home. I want to get a pitcher of water. That's gonna help. <laughs> At the bowling alley, perhaps. No, I was at the bowling alley. I was just over there. Oh. Nice. I like that picture of water. Picture of water. That ain't gonna help. It be, better be a picture of whiskey. <laughs> Only way to get through it. Yep. Had to bite the hair of the dog to bits. Loading. But uh, uh, make Quincy. But not that he's an artist, though. But I was gonna say Quincy Jones. Watch the damn dog. Yeah, I will. I will. Yeah. Please. 60 years of music? 6 0. Damn. He was producing, I mean, he's produced everyone from Miles Davis to Michael to, he did a song recently with uh, 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 Jamie Foxx. I think he's produced a Drake album. He, the, the guy's a phenom. Yeah. Oh my God. I, like I said, I was like, I was just blown away by his like body of work. And mind you, my, my girlfriend hasn't sent me a uh, text message or call or anything. She's so still she's, shopping. Guess what the hell will shoot up? Two, like, two of the best offenses in, in football right now. How much money you got in it? None. Yeah, that's good for you. <laughs> None. Oh, they're up. Wow. Early, I guess. All right. Yeah, a lot of football left. Anyway. Anywho. So yeah, Quincy, uh, please, I'm, I'm, watch that guy. I will, dog. for sure. I always trust your opinion. And then I want a full report on, uh, <laughs> what your takeaway of it. It's just, it's great, it's great to, uh, seeing, it got into the business side of what he did and his creativity and all that, but it also showed, like, his warmer side he talked about his relationship with his kids how he wished he were there more for his kids who's his daughter who's actually in some of them uh rashida jones, jones. That's right. very pretty lady yeah oh yeah and uh you know they had their very tender moment on the phone you know she's like trying to help her dad he's like trying to be very independent he's like that's an 86. that's why now he like he had this great interview with esquire I think it was Esquire, Esquire GQ, where he was just talking all kinds of shit about people. He was saying that uh, Richard Pryor slept with uh, <laughs> slept with men and was bisexual. Look what he said. Yeah, I, I got to send you that interview that uh, he did with uh, Esquire GQ, and then he like released an apology for it. He's like, I offended anyone's family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are here that I mentioned, or a lot of people that I mentioned can't defend themselves. Yeah. Because uh, huh. they passed on, so right. I'm sorry if I offend anyone in their family. Uh, he's talking about, how, no, it was how, <laughs> in the interview, he talked about how Richard Pryor and Marlon Brando used to fuck. <laughs> Back in the 70s, how they were like super. I can see it, dude. It was. You think wow. he's just like talking shit or he's actually being serious? It was probably 50-50 yeah. because back in the day, 
I think back in the 70s, everybody was just like, this is fucking everybody. Yeah. Like, if it's the you, 70s. If you, had, if you had the money and the influence and the time and the drugs, you were just fucking everybody. Might be how it is all the time. Probably. I, I've never had those things. <laughs> a thing of awareness. Yeah. Sounds like the 40s in Hollywood and might as well just be continuous. We just don't know about it. Yeah. It may just be like this, you know, <laughs> eyes wide shut parties going on every night Pretty in much. Hollywood, you know? Just going at it. Just going at it. Like, left and right. Um, but, no, he, he talked about that. Um, I think he talked about that in the documentary too, the GQ or Esquire interview. Uh, yeah, when you get, you know what it is too. When you get to a certain age, you don't care. Anymore. You don't give a fuck. Yeah. What, what, did they kill me? Check that. <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm Quincy Jones. I'm Quincy. First of all, I'm Quincy Jones. Secondly, I'm done. It's like when you put in your two weeks at work. Yeah, right. Totally. You just you're, you're on. You're on Flip autopilot. The tables. Yeah, you're on autopilot. Yeah. You know, you're showing up to work late. Right. You know, showing up to work drunk. What, are you gonna fire me? <laughs> Like, I've got three days left here. What are you gonna do? That's like how you, when you work. Yeah, that's like that's like me at work every day. <laughs> Hello, we get fitted for a suit. You're like, hey, let's step out for a drink. And then yeah. you never went back to work. Ooh. That was a good time. I'm glad. Okay, now it's all for Max because I took all your measurements, mm-hmm. and then you sent those measurements, and they and it actually fit. Fit. It's great. Fuck. Yeah. I'm good at what I do. You do you're good at what you do, dude. Now you you sent the. Um, because I gave you the inches and the centimeters. Yeah, and you covered everything in terms of measurements. So when you went back for the suit, they had like the shirt and the suit? Or- yeah, the shirt and the suit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and like I said, like I never had a fitted suit. And I was like, I don't know about this waist. It feels too tight. But after like two minutes, it sank in and like actually was comfortable. Wow. Like, because, you know, I guess the other guys, too, they they, uh, they thought that their waist was too tight. Uh-huh. And the guy's like, no, this is how it should be. There should be no anything in between, really. Wow. I wonder if it right? was... Yeah. I wonder if it, it Like, was... a belt is basically cosmetic at that point. It is. It's not functional. Yeah, yeah. Your, your, pants, your pants shouldn't be held on by your belt. No. It's just like an accessory. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, like... The thing that would hold your pants up the best are suspenders and skin. Yeah. And even then, Missed I guess. It. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm glad that worked out. I'm glad that was good, man. I'm good at what I do, you know? Yeah. Holy shit. I had no doubt. They missed it. They missed it. I'm like, shanked it. Um, wow. Okay, Rod. Get a boost of confidence, because all what, I did you was... Being, you're not, you don't have confidence in that? Come on. I didn't have confidence? Fucking shit. I can do one thing, is that... God, you know what? I, I was realizing that I have been in the clothing game for... Wow. 2008, maybe? 2000, no, 2002. Damn. Oh, Men's Warehouse. I Fuck, I've worked everywhere, it feels like. But I did have I did work for them for like six months, enough to like get a free trip to like Santa Cruz, like this was awesome, nice. And it was like a training thing they had us go to. Um, that was dope. But I, but I, you know what it is? I like it, and I was complaining to um, 
uh, cat on the tribe up that I have seen the business change so much and see it change in the news. I fucking hate it. So oh, let me, oh, what regard? So let me give you a quick anecdote. So when I first got in the, in the game, I worked for a uh, small men's store, actually here in town, over on Kentucky Street. And I was stopping, so I just did nothing with it. Oh, boxes in the basement. Put shirts out, yeah. ties out, shit. And that's basically what I did. And one day I had a customer who came in with a shorthand on the floor. Boss says, hey, you're on the floor today. You, I went to the floor, I knew all the products, and I knew how it fit, and all this, because I'm unboxing it, and I'm trying it on, and this and that. So I ended up selling a guy like five grand worth of clothes, which is huge for that store. And my boss goes, hey, congratulations, Kate, just got promotion, you're on the floor now. Okay. So I was a sales guy then. But now you have people at the store I work at who aren't salespeople. Like, there's literally, the store's designed in the designer uh, sportswear department to literally sell itself. It's like, yeah. you just need warm bodies to like bring it up. And these people are ringing up, like, to sell a suit, like you have to know all these body measurements to take. You gotta know like how a suit's constructed. You gotta justify why this suit is nine hundred dollars and this suit is eight thousand dollars. You know that kind of shit. And you'll have these kids who have no training, no experience, don't know anything about fits, sizing, shoulders, silhouette, any of that. You have these kids who will. Come and try to sell a suit and just fuck it all up. Yeah. And I'm like, no, do you not understand? I'll look at a guy and be like, he's not going to fit into that. They're like, what? I'm like, it's, it's not his fit. It's just not for his physique. What do you mean? Put it on. Because a guy will be like, oh, I'm usually not a 42 ball. Not that crap. Yeah. It's all, because the numbers are all arbitrary. It's all right. Well, get him another one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, hey, we're not doing. We're we're getting drunk today. Hey, who? <laughs> um, because at the end of the day, they're just numbers, and they're arbitrary to the person. That is correct. Uh, four the, parts. Lower. Wait, what? Higher and wrong. Oh God. Uh, jack of spades. What's the clubs? Ten of clubs. Ten of clubs. Okay, fail. But um, yeah, they're just kind of numbers. They're no, they're numbers. They're, they give you kind of a general idea. It's, Cheers, it's the difference between some of that. Difference between buying off the rack and they fit it. Getting a um, yeah, getting a custom suit or a made-to-measure suit or anything like that. Bespoke. It's something. Every guy should have like one of those. Just one. Of those. Yeah, just like one. This is what that one special occasion. Yeah, I kind of want another one. I know you want another. One. <laughs> that special occasion. Oh, I got your size. Yeah, you got me. Yeah. Uh, that special occasion suit that you wear. Actually, it's a suit. What do you usually like? Thirty-two pant, thirty-two or thirty-four pant. I think the uh, thirty-one. Thirty-one. Yeah. Okay. We're talking uh, length, right? Not waist. No, uh, waist. Uh, natural waist or 
It's like seems to be wearing. Right, these are 33s. Okay. Yeah. All right. I thought because you measured up here. Yeah, I did natural waist and then like your. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Up here, natural waist was like 36 or something. Yeah, yeah, this goes over your... Yeah, the bones. Your paunch here, yeah. The paunch. <laughs> <laughs> but then the, where we actually put everyone... A lot of guys wear, and we were extremely included, we wear it on our hips, we wear our jeans on our hips. Yeah, that's right. That's the style. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Cowboys. We're cowboys, man. Um, yeah, we ain't talking about Dallas. <laughs> Uh, but no, I think every guy should have at least one in his closet. It shouldn't cost him a good I mean, you got it. Suits or... Custom. How many you pay full price on? <laughs> <laughs> Zero. Damn, what? <laughs> nice. Dude, I'm in the biz. I know, I hope you get some benefit. I get free drinks, you get yeah. free suits. <laughs> Let's do a trade here. All right. I mean, when you're ready, shit. <laughs> Come on up when I'm working. Weekend. Yeah, I'm coming every weekend. And <laughs> it, might take, it might take about eight sessions to equal the uh, amount of a suit. But, uh, no, it's it's fun. I, but, no, getting back to my point, now you have these kids who are doing this, they don't have to sell. And they're making twice the amount of money I'm making as their commissions. They don't have to sell? They don't, they don't like, a personal little quote to me, be like, I want this jacket. Okay, here you I go. I saw this in a magazine, I want it. Yeah. And it's by a designer. And it's not fit right, and they have no idea. And yeah, but but you know what it is with the high fashion stuff, like Balenciaga, and Prada, and Gucci, and all that? It's just all over the place. Like, it doesn't have to fit like a suit. It doesn't, it's oversized. Yeah. It's all runway. They call it uh, runway to retail. So it literally is shit you see on the runway that, um, People see in a magazine they want like, Damn, I saw this in a magazine I want now. I saw this on in the uh, off-white runway show that I want, and I know it's four thousand dollars. I don't care. I want it. Um, and what's also happened too in fashion is that be, uh, they started banning phones in fashion shows because people start taking videos and photos of fashion shows. Those get forwarded to China. China knocks off no, the shit they see in the runway. Gonna be like an official there. Yeah. So wow. that's been that's been the big thing too in the, the fashion industry. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's too fast too. You know, it's like someone takes pictures into the China and then you're already getting knocked off. Yeah. Granted, let's be real. Most, if not everything, that we see is made there. Yeah. It's right. Made totally. Absolutely. Like everything's made in China. Yeah. Like even the shit that is. Oh yeah. Made in Italy, that's just all made in China. Yeah. Or if it's made in Italy, it's like Chinese immigrants that they fucking Yeah, fly totally. Yeah. And that's how, actually, that's a lot of, that's a big thing with um, the label of made in Italy is sometimes actually made with kind of sweatshop labor in yeah. Italy itself. So yes. they can have that designation. Just like in the US, where they're using the prison system yes. as a way oh of having. God. Made in the USA, yeah. it's still essentially slave labor. It's still slave labor. Thirteenth Amendment. It's all margins, man. Companies got to look yeah. at their their bottom line. It's just, it's disgusting. But how do you remedy that? How do you fix that? How do you? I mean, shit. This whole NAFTA, the end of NAFTA thing. I think we might 
tangent into a political conversation. Oh boy. Well, we're just all about music to. Oh man, it's good. Music to fashion to, to politics. politics is, is yeah. bound to happen. Talk about structure. Well, this whole thing with the caravan, you know, and I'm like, the legal to be anti-immigrant is to be pro-business because they can never unionize. Correct. They can never be protected under law. And to them, to dig a ditch for eight dollars an hour is the American dream. Yes, because they're willing to do it, and U.S. citizens are not willing to do that. But this is, but this is something that has gone back to the genesis of America. Uh, sure. And they, you know what? I'm going to turn on. I'm gonna turn on the. I'm gonna turn on the afterburners. May I have a? May I have a uh, bullet bourbon neat as well? I got all whiskey drunk. Yeah, I got all whiskey drunk last night. Nice. In the pet. Where were you guys? Where you guys were in the city last night? No, we were. We were just at at at, uh, at the house last night. Her place. Nice. And we had a few people over, and I just had a bottle of. Uh, and I'll, I'll do the same that he's doing. Bullet bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she got this Costco size. We had a fuck. I'm so domesticated these days. She had like a. We had a dinner party. <laughs> we had a dinner party like. You're the going day to following. Costco now, shit. Bro. Um, <laughs> I'm done. Dinner party with all the girls yeah, and the no, we guys. Had, we had a dinner party with uh, my uh, my colleague and his girlfriend. And uh, Catherine's a hell of a cook. She like makes this chuck roast. Yeah, it was my invite. Yeah. Care where I live, dude. You should. You should come down. Yeah, what you, you do on Saturdays? Sometimes uh, off Saturdays. This was. Uh, she works at uh, a restaurant. Actually, you know what? Oh yeah, that spot in the Richmond. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. I gotta take you to a spot because yeah, yeah. she works Saturdays. But this was like Tuesday night. She was mm. off early that day. Ah, well, Wednesday, Thursdays. They usually have two days off in a row. Uh, I gotta figure out what that. No, her days yes. off are Sundays, Mondays. Sundays, Mondays. Yeah. I come anyway, out on Sunday. You can come out on Sunday. We'll, we'll cook for you. She'll cook for you. Uh, she's a hell of a cook. Uh, so she makes this great chuck roast, couscous salad. Oh. You know, squash and all this other bullshit. Really good. And uh, thank you. One to kill, one to chill. One to kill, Salute. one to chill. Salute. At any rate, she um, gets this big Costco-sized bottle of Knob Creek. She goes ham at Costco, by the way. She is insane. She says, oh, do you want anything from Costco? Yeah, some booze. Give me some uh, Get that. booze and some body wash and some... <laughs> Some toothpaste, and I'll be good. All right. Must have spent a Costco. And a six pack of pasta. Seven hundred dollars. Oh my god. How the fuck do you spend seven hundred dollars at Costco? She goes. I think I'm gonna buy a deep freezer. I think I bought too much stuff. <laughs> Crazy one. Okay. At any rate, um, have my my uh, my colleague Jeremy and his girlfriend over. Beautiful day. I. Ripped into that fucking knob creek. And I was just like angry. Just <laughs> <laughs> yelling, oh, we need to change the system and eat people a lot. And then my coworker's like, the next day he's like, you are an angry whiskey truck. I was like, God. Nice. I, was like, I was like, how much of that shit did I have? He's like, every time I saw you, your glass was full. <laughs> and then it was empty, and then it was just like magically full again. <laughs> <laughs> like, Keep it coming. 
Oh, fuck, dude. I joined the Elks Lodge in the city. You did? Holy shit, bro. I'm a card-carrying member. What? I'm dude, we should have joined the Moose. I got a Moose three doors down from my house. What? All right, we're going to be Moose members, too. No, because I'm waiting for my brother to... I'm waiting to actually... Willing to actually spend 50 bucks because I'm a cheap ass. Dude, you're an Elks? <laughs> they let black people in there? <laughs> As of 1970. <laughs> Wait, Patrick J. Murphy, that's not you. That's oh, not that's up there. <laughs> Bro. So the one, if you're ever, uh, once you're in the city next to you, the lodge in the city is fucking tits. Is it actually cheaper alcohol? It's cheaper it better alcohol. Be. Uh, the one here, it's not. The Moose Lodge? Yeah. The same as downtown, basically. Wow. It's terrible. No, I get, I mean, I can get drunk on the cheap uh, there. Where's the Elks Lodge at? It's on post uh, between Powell and Mason. So, like, okay. uh-huh. right by where I work. Yeah. And, um... Who sponsored you? How'd you get him? So, my buddy Zach and my buddy Burke were my two sponsors. And they, uh, they hang out there way too much. Uh-huh. I was like, hey guys, every time I walk in, I'm like, hey, I'm like, hey, Burke's here. He's like, hey man. He's like this pot attorney, funny guy. Hey man. What's going on? He's one of those like, like laughs who. Your, uh, your sister remembers Burke Hansen. Uh, he's one of those like laugh. Oh my god. Uh, he laughs, he talks through his, his laugh. Yeah. He's like, yeah man. So, you know. Uh, so he sponsored me, um, and yeah, it's been it's been good so far. I will tell you why I love going. Not just the bar, the fucking gym, Olympic-sized pool, steam room, weight room. Um, it's about so you go in the morning, exercise, yep. come back after your shift, and get drunk. And get drunk. Yeah. Nice. Uh, they've got a great kitchen, so they do, they do lunch and dinner. Uh, dinner, they do Friday nights. Lunch, Monday through Friday. That's awesome. Um, you go often now? More than uh, Golden Gate Taproom? More than I do Golden Gate Taproom. Uh-huh, I figured that'd be the new spot. You know, I figure it's 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 like 40, you pay your dues every six months. It's like, breaks out bucks? Like, it breaks out like 40 bucks a month. That's not bad. It's not bad. For what it is. How much is the dinner? Uh, the dinner there, for, like if I go solo, it's like 16 bucks. Dude, what are you getting? I get like... Like a like a pasta dish, or like fish and chip, or something like that. It's like good quality, or and like, it's like decent quality. Yeah. It's not like five star. Or, yeah, I, well, I get no, expected, but yeah, it's but it's like it's like pub pub quality food. So like here, it's like here. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. He steps up. You got time. You got room. You got room. Ooh, that count. That's first, hit first. first down. It's first down. Knees hit first. Yeah, that's first down. Um, but no, the other night, uh, another elk. Oh my, my buddy who sponsored me, Zach. Zach Ruda, fucking crazy guy, stellar guy. You love him. He works at the. Uh, you ever been? Did you ever go up to the Big Four? Where I live in the city. It's at the. Uh, it's a Knob Hill fucking... No. Yeah, I didn't hang out with I, I gotta go to Knob Hill. That crowd. Anyway, he, he, he uh, attends bar there. Uh, funny guy. He's also a member at the uh, University Club. University Club, that's how it's fucking stuck. I'm fucking University Club. Me and some friends are going to the U Club uh, for dinner. Just join us. 
This is Friday night. I said, okay. So go to the uh, university club. It's like right on top of uh, Knobville, California. And go in, just old school, you know, hardwood. It's got like a library in there with all these old fucking books. They had this terrace that overlooks downtown facing east. And so like to the right is the Salesforce Tower. Left to that, you got the Transamerica Pyramid. All these fucking huge buildings. You can see the ferry building to the far left. And he's like, dude, become a member. Let me tell you why. There's a bar here close to 11. Think about we own, the club owns the entire building. You have access to it 24 7, 365. There's like some wild shit goes on here once the bar closes. What's inside the building other than the bar? Oh, uh, you have private rooms. What? Yeah, there's like private rooms to go drink. That's hang a U out. club? That's a university club.